Why is the office of Pope so important in the church? To answer that question, we must go first not to Rome or Jerusalem, but to Egypt, and then to a place of pagan worship in the Golan Heights, near the modern border of Syria and Lebanon. In the book of Genesis, we read that Pharaoh entrusted to Joseph, one of the twelve sons of Jacob, an office second only to his own. The ruler of Egypt declared to Joseph, You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people shall dart at your command. Only in respect to the throne shall I outrank you. And as a sign of Joseph's new authority, Genesis tells us, Pharaoh took off his signet ring and put it on Joseph's finger. He had Joseph dressed in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck because Joseph was now master of the palace. This same authority is conferred in today's first lesson, not in Egypt, but in the kingdom of Judah, upon a man named Eliakim. The Lord deposed an unworthy master of the palace, and then through the prophet Isaiah he declared to Eliakim, I will clothe him with your robe and gird him with your sash and give over to him your authority. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place the key of the house of David on Eliakim's shoulder. When he opens, no one shall shut. When he shuts, no one shall open. I will fix him like a peg in a sure spot. Here we see the power and dignity of the master of the palace, who effectively rules in the king's name and with the king's own authority, not to compete with the king and still less to replace him, but in order to extend the dominion of the king and assist him in the government of his kingdom. This office of master of the palace existed in the ancient kingdoms of Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon, as well as in Israel, and so the twelve apostles would have understood immediately what it means for a man to be entrusted by his king with the keys to the kingdom. All of that gives us a context for understanding the extraordinary event described today by St. Matthew in chapter 16 of his gospel. As the Lord Jesus did last week in chapter 15 of Matthew, he took the twelve once again on a journey out of Galilee and into Gentile territory, this time toward the city of Caesarea Philippi, about 20 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Caesarea Philippi was named for two men who typify earthly authority, the Tetrarch Philip, one of the sons of Herod the Great, and the Emperor Augustus Caesar, who claimed the title Son of God. The city was at the foot of Mount Hermon, where Baal had once been worshipped, but since the time of Alexander the Great, it was the site of a shrine to the Greek god Pan, who was depicted as a man with the legs and horns of a goat and acclaimed as the god of shepherds and flocks. The grotto at the shrine of Pan was the site of irrational pagan worship, much of it based on debauchery and frenzied behavior from which we get our word, panic. 
into this heart of pagan darkness, the true Lamb of God and Good Shepherd took his 12 Jewish apostles to lay the foundation of a movement that would embrace first Israel, then Greece and Rome, and finally the whole world in a new eternal and universal kingdom of justice, love, and peace. And the seed and beginning of that kingdom is the Church of Jesus Christ, which is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Jesus asked the twelve, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Last week we saw a Canaanite woman acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Son of David. And now Christ asked the twelve about what other people are saying of him. This question comes near the end of the time Jesus spent with the apostles shortly before his transfiguration and the final journey to Jerusalem. For three years, the twelve had traveled with Christ up and down the land. They heard him preach and witnessed his power over nature, and they were among the vast crowds who thronged to be with the Lord Jesus. And now the time had come for the twelve to declare themselves once and for all. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. These various answers speak of the difficulty encountered by anyone who sees evidence of things his preconceptions tell him cannot possibly be true. Think of the incomprehension experienced by Pilate, Herod, and the Sanhedrin during the trial of Jesus in the early morning darkness of Good Friday. Who is this man? Where did he come from? How can he do the things he has done? By what authority does he teach with such power? But the apostles did not have the luxury of merely reporting what others said about the Lord Jesus. It was time now for them to make up their minds because the hour for which the Son of Man came into the world was near at hand. And so he asked the twelve directly and personally, Who do you say that I am? St. Matthew, who was there that day and heard the question, does not describe the scene for us in detail. Did Simon answer immediately? Or did he first hesitate, straining to find the right words to explain what his heart already knew? Did he have tears in his eyes or wonder in his face? Did the words catch in his throat or did they tumble out on his trembling lips? Did Simon whisper his answer with quiet reverence Or did he shout it with indescribable joy? We do not know the answers to these questions, but we do know that Simon Barjona replied to the Lord Jesus with words that changed all of human history. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The children of Israel had waited for centuries for their Messiah, the anointed one of the house of David, 
who would restore the long-lost kingdom. So that much of Simon's reply would have been easily understood by any Jew. You are the Christ. But the second part, that was something else entirely. You are the son of the living God. Israel's everlasting mission is to announce to all the nations that there is only one living and true God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the monotheism of Israel would seem to exclude the very possibility of anyone being in truth the son of the living God. But Simon Barjona, without yet grasping how and why, had come to understand by a divine gift that his friend and teacher, the rabbi from Nazareth and the son of Mary, has no human father and is in truth God the Son made man, the only begotten of God the Father, the eternal word who in the fullness of time and by the power of the Holy Spirit was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so Simon declared to the Lord Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In reply, and to assist the other eleven in understanding Simon's profession of faith, Jesus declared, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. Christ confirmed that Simon had received a supernatural gift of divine revelation, which no human wisdom could ever attain. And this gift of divine revelation had awakened in Simon saving knowledge by grace through faith of the true identity of the Lord Jesus as both true God and true man. That much alone would make this encounter at Caesarea Philippi a world historical event. But the Lord Jesus was not yet done. Because of this supernatural gift of faith, Simon was about to receive from his divine master a new name, and a new mission. Simon, the simple fisherman from Galilee, was about to become master of the palace in the kingdom of God. I say to you, you are rock, kepha, kephas, petrus, Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If you go into St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City and look up into the great dome of Michelangelo, you will see giant letters five feet tall running around the base of the dome about 150 feet above the floor. They say, Tu es Petrus, et superhunc Petram, edificabo ecclesia meam, et tibidabo clevis regni celorum, meaning, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That magnificent dome, the tallest in the world, 
rises more than 400 feet over the main altar of the basilica, which in turn is built several stories above the grave of the Galilean fisherman who was murdered by the Emperor Nero in a racetrack built at the Mons Vaticanus, the Vatican Hill. Peter was buried in a simple grave near the place of his death, but the Christians in Rome never forgot or abandoned that spot. So why is the Pope so important in the church? The master of the palace in the kingdom of heaven was given first to Simon Peter, but that office did not die with him. The office given by Christ to Peter continues in the church in Peter's successor, the Bishop of Rome, who by virtue of his Petrine ministry serves as pastor of the universal church, not in rivalry to Christ, but only as his vicar, a steward of the sacred mysteries, and a herald of the gospel. We know, of course, that Simon Peter failed in many ways to live according to his profession of faith and the dignity of his office, as have all of his successors for 2,000 years. But the sins and human frailties of the man in the office should never deprive us of our gratitude that Christ the King left us a master of the palace, entrusted with the power of the keys to guide us in the way of the cross and to stand like a peg fixed in a sure spot against false doctrine and disunity in the church. When a pope dies and the College of Cardinals assembles in Rome to elect the next successor of Peter, the world watches with fascination as an ancient set of rituals unfolds in one of the most storied places on earth. But at the end of the day, after all the pomp, Everything comes down to one question from the Savior of the world. Who do you say that I am? And the Lord Jesus puts that same question to each and every one of us, first on the day of our baptism, and then every day for the rest of our lives. The Lord said of Eliakim, master of the palace, he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Pope means father, papa. And through the gospel, the successor of Peter is father to all who are in Christ because it is his task to strengthen the faith of all who confess that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the son of the living God. Like Joseph in Egypt, and all masters of the palace in every time and place, the Bishop of Rome wears a fine robe, a ring on his finger, and a gold chain around his neck. But on that chain hangs a cross, a cross which testifies to the passion, death, and resurrection of the King of the Jews and the King of all creation. Yes, the Bishop of Rome and successor of Peter is truly master of the palace in the kingdom of God. But the only king he serves and to whom he bears witness for us is the one confessed by Simon Peter to be the Messiah and the son of the living God, the Lord, Jesus Christ, 